0: If you'd like to follow along with the scripture reading this evening, it's going to be taken from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 7 and verse 11. Matt's going to be speaking this evening. His uh, lesson's entitled, Receiving Discipline. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? In verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it.
1: Morning. that short scripture reading this morning we were joking about, if you see some people walking around that look like zombies, the teens are back from the teen weekend retreat at Fort Hill and uh, uh, they bribed me to say something that would put them to sleep, and so I'm going to start out the sermon with a Greek word, uh, lambano. They're drifting off now. So are you probably. Now, we're, we're in a series on receiving, uh, being receptive as Christians. Uh, Anthony had been uh, doing some some thinking and some studying on it, he came across some passages which enlightened him to it and and, and we 've been talking about this idea of being receptive of of taking in what God has to offer to us so that we can give to him all that we are and all that we can and so richard or uh, Andrew Murray in and his work on prayer um, with Jesus in the school of prayer, in fact, it's called. In the chapter on Lord Teach Us to Pray, He was talking about the, the passage in Matthew where uh, Jesus said, whoever asks receives. And that word receives actually is the same Greek word that is used for take, to take something. And so when Jesus said, take, eat, this is My body at the Lord's Supper, it was the same word as receive over here. His point there in prayer was that when God answers our prayer, we receive from Him. We are to open up and take it in as something really tangible in our lives. We're to live in such a way that we receive it in, that it works in us, and that there is a very real solution, answer, change, modification in your life. And Therefore, this word receive that's used in the Scripture is a good word to talk about discipline because not only do we receive it, but we're supposed to have the mindset that we want to grab a hold of it and welcome it, to take it in. And we have to come to a realization about what it's for before we do that because it can be hard to take sometimes. Discipline can come in the form of of many things, in many ways. God Himself personally, by His hand, can discipline us individually still today. God can provide for us all our needs, and one of those needs is discipline. He's our Heavenly Father, right? And so, in that love that we talked about this morning, He can reach down and providentially work in our lives in such a way as to discipline us. In fact, he said, I promise you I will do that because I love you. I promise I'll do that. We're supposed to say, good, thank you, I need that. (laughs) We're supposed to, all right? God can also do it through men. Men can discipline. Uh, It can come by way of words. It can come by way of maybe physical blows, it can be from those outside the church, it can be from within the church too, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And so, discipline in our lives can come from a variety of ways, but let us not forget and overlook that self-discipline really is where we need to start. We need to start with self-discipline. If I am a Christian, that is a disciple, a disciple then I am in agreement with Christ to be my master and my teacher and to allow Him to discipline me for a purpose. For a purpose. And that is to go home. So receiving or taking a hold of discipline is going to be a key thing in order to receive all the other things that Anthony and I have been talking about, such as that forgiveness... Receiving forgiveness, Uh, being disciplined helps me to receive the reconciliation between God and I. The grace of God offered to me, if I'm not disciplined, I cannot receive that. The love of God, that requires me to be in line with God in order to receive that and the Holy Spirit. Which he promised to us. These are all subjects that uh, we've been preaching on Sunday nights, and discipline is elementary in our being able to enjoy all of those blessings that God is wanting to bestow upon us. Discipline should become a disciple's best friend and not something to be feared. Richard Foster in his work, Celebration of Discipline, which we've referred to a few times in various lessons in the past. He's got some strange ideas in there, but some of the things he says that are on are really on. Um, one of the things that uh, he pointed about, out about discipline is that it is the liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest. A stifling slavery... To self-interest or selfishness. Selfishness enslaves us. We're captivated by us. And we want to do everything we can to surround ourselves with things that will take care of us. And what he says discipline does is it releases you from that and allows God then to be able to have His way with you and to be able to bless you and steer you, to give you that correction and steering as you move on down that narrow path. And since it is narrow, and since it is difficult, we need Him to help us steer. It only works if it's welcomed. As powerful as the exercise of discipline is to change and alter and transform men, whether physically, through bodily exercise or spiritually, through spiritual exercises, it is powerless in the face of unwillingness. If someone is not willing to receive it, discipline cannot do its work. Foster added that the primary requirement of a disciplined disciple is a longing after god if you really want to come to know god you will you will enjoy whatever it is that is called knowledge or correction that will help you come to know him better if you reject correction and discipline you're saying i really don't want to know god that well it I would rather preserve myself and my feelings or my pride than I would to learn more about God or to receive any help from anyone because it hurts a little bit. Sometimes it hurts a lot. You see, pride and discipline cannot coexist. Arrogance and discipline cannot Foolishness and discipline cannot. Worldliness and discipline just cannot coexist. Listen to what Solomon says about those who would either receive or spurn discipline when it's offered to them. Proverbs 9.8 Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. Proverbs 13, 13.18 Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Proverbs 15.10 Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. 1531, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. 1532, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. 1710, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Twenty-five, twelve, twenty-seven, five. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Better to take the pain than it is to try to make the excuse that you're not going to offer something somebody needs because you, want, you don't want to risk the friendship, and, and you do that in the name of love. He said, open rebuke is better than, quote-unquote, pseudo-love, I think is what he means here, concealed. I'm just not going to say anything. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend's countenance, right? A man sharpens his friend. 27, 5, uh, 28, 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Afterward. Why? Because it hurts when you do it. And they don't, they're mad at you sometimes for a little bit. People get mad at you. Even our friends, family, church members. They run down the list of all your problems first. Afterward. I guess they were right. You find favor afterwards rather than flattering with the tongue. There's not much favor in that. Proverb 29, 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Proverb 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That has to do with children. Ecclesiastes 7, 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of a wise of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Well, <laughs> I narrowed that down, that list. You might be thinking, how many are you going to read? I narrowed that down to half of what I printed off in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes just from Solomon. And Solomon's not the only one to speak of it, but he certainly, as that one bestowed with wisdom from above by God, had a lot to say about it. And that's because God has a lot to say about it. You know, a mature Christian is not one who is simply older. A mature Christian is not one who is simply busier in the Lord's kingdom or more talented because he can do multiple things or she can do multiple things. A mature Christian is one who is a disciple, and a disciple is a learner. That's the definition of a disciple. A mature Christian is a learner. In other words, there may be someone that is close-minded to receiving correction that's been a Christian for 50 years that is less mature than the new babe in Christ who wants to gobble up all the information they can get. God thinks that's more mature, a more mature state. The level of knowledge is not the same. But the heart and the mind are more ready and receptive. And therefore, someone who knows less can be wiser, can be more mature in that regard. I know a lot of people who are not as educated as other people, but who are more mature than other people, don't you? In, in the secular stand, uh, standpoint, okay? Think about that in terms of those who are open to learning. As a, as a listener, even to rebuke. We need God as His children, just like children need their human parents. Because God said, Whom I love, I chasten. Look at it this way. When you are going through a trial, first of all, you don't always know where the, the origin of that is. It might just be circumstances of life. It might be that rain we talked about. You know, life happens to us. It might be God directly doing it. It might be Satan tempting you. We don't know that. Job didn't know. You know, God and Satan had a conversation about him. He's down on earth. He had no clue. Where did all this come from? All I know is I was going along just fine and wham! We don't know sometimes where it comes from. But this I know, that God... Because of his love, allows it to happen, if not causes it to happen, those trials, those hardships. If it's not him directly, then he knows of it. Job, for example. And so, one way or another, God is confident that we will be, that we will improve, that we will be better. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's why he said to Satan, okay, but don't touch him. And then, okay, but don't kill Job. God was in control of that, and He knew how much Job could take, and He knows how much you can take. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote about the temptations that overtook the Corinthians, the temptations of persecution for their faith, the temptation to bail, and say, no, I don't know Christ. He said, none of these temptations that have have overtaken you are are uncommon. They're common to man. But God, with that temptation, will provide the way of escape. So there's a way through it. There's a way to, to see through, persevere, to see, to peer through it and make it. There's a way. And God is fully aware of it. And what He wants us to do is see In every situation that there is something that we can learn and be better people for because of it. So the gentleness or harshness of the discipline then is determined also by how close a soul is to disaster. Like that proverb 15.10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And he who hates correction will die. And so, God sees your state in levels of intensity. You might need the little two degree correction to stay on the road, or, or you might need to just go ahead and go in the ditch, and then He'll yank you out so that you think about things a little bit differently. He can get you out, but He may let you go in. Now, how many stories could we tell in the Scriptures of Him doing such things? So that men, depending upon the mentality, depending upon what they need, which Johnny Ramsey defined as the grace of God, giving man what he needs, that discipline is God's grace being offered to us, even if it hurts. Harsh discipline. So he may discipline by his own hands sometimes. He may discipline through men. We are our brother's keeper. In the church, we are. He has has created this body of of believers to bring Him glory, but congregationally, also to care for each other. Just to pat each other on the back for our accomplishments in life? Mm-mm. No. No. And I'm not going to embellish on this too much because Ben is doing such a good job in class and he's just getting into the thick of this. And unlike Ben, I'm not going to steal his material before it gets there. Um, I'm going to let him develop that. If you want to know some details about the purpose of discipline in the church and how it works, he's really getting into the nitty gritty right now of that, how we look at each other. But we are supposed to hold each other accountable to our commitment, first of all, to God. Now if that's important to you, you will welcome someone approaching you, someone writing you, someone somehow gently offering you some kind of correction, or harshly offering you some kind of correction, if indeed you want to be right with God. Where it goes astray, or awry I should say, where it goes awry, is when men truly don't have it as their first priority, as Foster said, to be longing after God, but rather to be worldly. Then the confrontation is unpleasant. And I'm going to uh, set forth to you that I think that that is one of the reasons why we have such difficulty in going to or coming to one another when we know that our brothers and sisters need admonition, which is a mild or gentle warning or correction, or they need rebuked, as the passage is here, uh, to, 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 to teach them the, the straighter way. Uh, and that is because so many times, in fact, we're not longing after God. And if you are one who has tried to help a brother or sister, and because their heart was not receptive to discipline, they rebuked you in return. That makes it hard to go back the next time you see a need that your brother or sister has and to say something to them, to sit down with them. You can take them to Starbucks and buy them the, the favorite coffee or whatever, and you can try and set this beautiful setting where you're going to share with them how concerned you are about it. It's just you're just going to be afraid to do that. But I want to suggest to you, like, you know... People, perhaps in your family or your parents, no matter what age you are, recall times when the risk was taken to offer you that discipline. Parents too often today opt out of that discipline just to retain the friendship with their children, which really isn't friendship. Come on, your teenagers don't really want to be friends with you. Are they inviting you to the school functions and activities? All right, so be their parent. Be their parent and understand that those who loved us most are the ones who offered us that correction when we needed it. And you have to then realize that there is a risk that your relationship with someone may be damaged, but if you know that you're doing the right thing, then the damage that may happen is Is on that person not on you but we're trying to create an environment here at Pickerington where this needs to be done Oftentimes, because we're human and we're we're fighting with the world in a battle we need to be able to talk to each other and so, so many of us are fearful to do so we're really trying to in a very real way create an environment where we can talk to each other and not get to the point where the only time we talk to each other is to offer a rebuke but to actually know each other enough to be admonishing each other enough and building each other up to where there's very little uh, interaction that is corrective that takes place. That's the ideal situation. That's the ideal, is that we all self-discipline, we all encourage each other to grow, and less often have to make that decision, should I say something or not? Let me ask these ten people over here what they think. <laughs> you know how that goes. All right, it's a problem before someone's even approached. Well, I, I said I wasn't going to deal with that too much. I'll let let that be hashed out in class a little bit more. But Paul said this. He said, none of us are disqualified from this obligation to keep each other on the right path. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Listen to this. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And he said, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And this is spoken to all disciples, all responsible, to be our brother's keeper, to discipline each other, and to be ready for that. In my personal experience, in my personal experience, I I started laughing, although it's really not that funny, I started thinking about people, I, I remember, don't you remember when people offer you correction? You remember who, when, where, because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. I've been corrected by men and women both. I've been corrected by older folks. I've been corrected by children, some of whom were my own, and they were right at times. I've been corrected by my spouse a couple times, and I've been corrected by friends. I've been corrected by elders in the church, preachers in the church, Members, Other members of the church, sometimes I asked for criticism and received it. Sometimes I didn't ask and I received it. Most was helpful to my Christian walk. There were times when I just racked my brain and couldn't really see the, the, uh, the need for correction. Most of the time, though, thank you very much. Yes, I needed that. Always it was helpful. And never was it pleasant to receive. Never fun. But I took it for my own soul's sake. And that learning comes both in the form of just knowledge. It comes from life experiences. It comes from the Bible. It also comes from the School of Hard Knocks. And it comes from God and it comes from man. Whatever the avenue of discipline, <laughs> it takes a little self-discipline, enough to receive it. You can just, as a disciple, realize that God loves you, therefore He will discipline you. That your brothers who have obeyed the Gospel and your sisters, in sincere love of the truth, Peter said, when they come to you to, to, to correct, to talk about something in your life, they're coming to help you. Coming to help. And you can sift that information and you can take it or you can leave it, but listen to it. To listen to correction is synonymous. To receive discipline is synonymous with saying, I want to go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven... Then you're pursuing God. If you're pursuing God, you'll welcome help, and you'll realize I'm not too proud to hear what somebody has to say if it'll help me. And if it, if it doesn't, if they're wrong, it's okay. The intention was there. It's wonderful that people love me, and that's as far as it really should go. But most of the time, we'll find the tremendous value and in the insight of others, especially God. Every Christian has been given citizenship in heaven, and we don't want to forfeit our rights to our eternal home by disqualifying ourselves on bad behavior, by losing our rights to citizenship, or let's say by being written out of the will, erased from the book of life, because we just were undisciplined and unruly and we brought shame to our Father. We don't want to do that. You don't want to do that, or you wouldn't be here tonight. And so open yourselves to discipline. It is the most important thing we can do to stay on course. It's the most important thing you can do as a Christian. It's the most important thing you can do as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a child, is to receive that discipline. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9.27, that he beat himself up so that he wouldn't disqualify himself. I checked that word out this afternoon. just thought, what does he mean, buffet my body? Right? That's what we always joke about in the King James. It says, buffet, I buffet my body. What does it mean to buffet my body or discipline my body? You know what that word means? It means to punch underneath the eye to give a black eye. Paul said, I'll beat myself up if I need to so that I can stay on course for my eternal home. And if somebody else needs to punch me in the eye to keep me on course eternally, I'll take it. I'll take it. Hit me. So I hope that you have an attitude of receptivity, and Anthony will uh, wrap things up next week on this uh, receptive series of receiving. So if there's anything that anyone needs to do tonight to take a step forward with Christ um, or uh, in repentance or in prayer, Uh, You can let us know by coming forward. You can find somebody afterwards. But do not let another day go by undisciplined. Let's stand and sing.